This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My love language is scatological um, anything, so... Mm, you feel loved then. I did. I felt very loved. <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... With us today is Juliet Escoria and Scott McClanahan. Juliet Escoria is the author of the novel Juliet the Maniac, the short story collection Black Cloud, and the poetry collection Witch Hunt. Um, I don't understand how you could have written such amazing books in such a short period of time. Okay, back to your bio. She was born in Australia, raised in San Diego, and currently lives in West Virginia with her husband, the writer and martial artist Scott McClanahan. She received a BA in creative writing at the University of California in Riverside and an MFA in fiction writing at CUNY Brooklyn College. She currently teaches at a community college in West Virginia. So thank you so much for being here, Juliet. And her husband, Scott McClanahan, is an American writer, economist, explorer, and martial artist. He lives in West Virginia and is the author of eight books. His most recent book, The Sarah Book, was featured in Rolling Stone, Village Voice, and Playboy. NPR called the book Brave, Triumphant, and Beautiful. It reads like a fever dream and it feels like a miracle. McClanahan is also a co-founder of Holler Presents, a West Virginia-based production and small press company. Thank you for being here, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. I can't, I can't believe you had time amidst all your economisting and exploring and martial arts artisty artisting <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm impressive yeah <laughs> I, I am very impressed definitely impressed we would love to hear you guys read and and love to hear what what you have for us to read okay this is uh about my great uncle james and he was killed in a coal camp in the 1930s james was playing on the steps of the miners clubhouse when it happened his friends amerigo and squirrel were with him a few days before, Dory asked James what Squirrel's real name was, and James said, I don't know. I think it's Squirrel. The boys threw cold chunks and Red Dog against the brick of the clubhouse wall and watched the chunks explode. James laughed, named at the center square of the stone wall. He did his Dizzy Dean wind up and let his Red Dog fly. The rock curved and cut sideways through the air and then dropped down and exploded right where he aimed. Hell yeah, he said, and shook his tiny fists in triumph. And all if I could only tell you about this paradise of little boys throwing rocks and coal slag against the cinder block wall and watching shit explode. James watched his friends throw their clumps too and they argued about whose dad would win in a fist fight. Marigo said his dad would win, but Squirrel said his dad would win because Amerigo's dad was dead. Squirrel had a good point because Amerigo's dad was dead. He'd been killed in 1927. Three months off the boat, fresh from Italy, and a widowmaker crushed him flat in the mountains of McDowell County, West Virginia. Now the boys stood on the steps and slid on the metal railing, and the mountain sky grew purple. James slid one last time and told the boys he should be getting home. His mother, Dory, would be worried. But his friends were monkey boys and swung from the railing and shouted no. So they ran to the top of the clubhouse steps where the cook tossed out old loaves of white bread too dried up and moldy for minor sandwiches, and James ripped off clumps and rolled them smooth in his palms. 
James made his tiny bread balls and waited for a car to pass. And soon one did. James and the boys wound their arms and threw their fast pitches together until their bread balls bounced off the side of a dirty black Ford that zipped by. James clapped and laughed and Amerigo put his arm around James' shoulder and said, I love you, James, you're my best friend. And they were still young enough to love one another like only little boys can. And that's when James saw two people walking down the hillside. It was a man and woman stumbling drunk as fuck together. They were passing a pop bottle full of booze back and forth, arguing, fuck you, no fuck you. James just stood there and said, who is it? It was a drunk woman they called Lucy Pussy and a mile electrician with a lightning bolt tattoo on the back of his hand. Hey, let's throw some bread at them, Squirrel said. And James said, no, we shouldn't. The old man was handsome and walked in a dirty white suit. His gray hair was slicked back, but his three-day stubble was dark and rough. He took a snort from the pop bottle full of moonshot and passed it back. Lucy Pussy walked beside him and slipped before gulping from the pop bottle too. Her pantyhose were rolled down around her calves like socks and her skirt looked ripped and torn across the leg. Looks like Lucy Pussy found herself a feller, Squirrel said. Marigo asked why they called her Lucy Pussy, but Squirrel just laughed at how stupid Marigo was. He said, you dumb wop. Her name's Lucy and she's got a pussy, it's Lucy. If you got 25 cents, she'll make a man out of you. Brother had it once and said it was like sticking your pecker in a warm pail of water. James and Amerigo still didn't understand. Then Amerigo asked, but did she change her name? I don't think that's her real last name, Squirrel. James warned them not to throw the bread, but Squirrel waited for the couple to pass so he could start throwing bread at them too. The bread balls bounced in the street. Gathered in piles around Lucy Pussy's feet. Stop it, you little peckerwood, Lucy screamed. And she started reaching for the old man's arm and asking for the pop bottle back. The scary man shouted, you've had enough, you ignorant bitch. And that's the end. Should I go now? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God, I have missed, missed hearing your voice, Scott. Um, <laughs> yes, hell yes, Juliet, please. Yeah, he, I told him I wouldn't look at him while he was reading because you realize it's kind of weird to like sit next to each other and read, <laughs> but we're doing that. Definitely. Okay, this is the beginning of a story. There was this weird hippie guy who hung around the palms. He owned a van and a llama and not much else. We called him the van man. I didn't know the name of the llama. The two of them slept in the van every night at the far end of the parking lot. Van man in the driver's seat, llama in the back. He'd cut out panels in the van so the llama could stick its head out. It didn't seem like a very comfortable living arrangement, but what did I know? One day I was working the cash register at the bookstore when Van Man came into the store at the llama. He walked right over to the magazines, the lead for the llama wrapped loosely around his fingers like he was holding a balloon. It was dead silent for a second, a thick communal shock, everyone staring at the man and his llama. The moment passed and everyone began talking over each other at once. A fucking llama in a fucking bookstore. I really like my manager, this nice guy with the trendy beard who'd introduced me to Brett Easton Ellis. But when he told the van man to get out of the bookstore, he seemed like nothing more than a spineless little bitch. Come on, my manager said. Let's be cool. Take the llama out of the store. There's not a sign, van man said. And it was true. There wasn't. There was a sign that said no dogs, but it mentioned nothing about cats or rabbits or llamas. This was long before the days of emotional support animals. But there wasn't a sign about how you weren't allowed to bomb the store or light the books on fire or jerk off in the erotica section, which had happened before, either. My manager left to call security. Everyone was just standing around staring as Van Man paged through the new issue of Maxim. A few minutes later, the security guard showed up. He was a pathetic man, pink and doughy. We all called him Tweety because of his car, a yellow RAV4. It had a Tweety Bird sticker on the window and a Tweety Bird tire cover and a personalized Tweety Bird license plate. It was impossible to take him seriously ever, not when he yelled at us for drinking or smoking or making too much noise. The worst he could do was order us to get off the property. When that happened, we walked across the drop-off area to do the same things we did at the tables, but in front of the stop sign instead. You gotta go, he told Van Man. Whatever, man, Van Man said, like some stone guy in some stoner movie. I'm just reading a magazine. You gotta get the llama out of here, Tweety told him and pulled on his arm, the one that wasn't holding the llama lead. 
That pissed Van Man off. He started flailing his arms, which yanked on the llama lead, which made the llama let out a long, weird snort like a horse. But finally, he relented, pet the llama on the nose to settle it down, allowed himself to be escorted out of the store. There at the door, when Tweety told him, and don't you come back, trying too hard to play a role. Van Man laughed like he had the exact same thought as me. Hope this makes you feel real big, Mr. Badgy Badgy $5 an hour man, he said. Mr. Badgy $5 an hour fake pig. I couldn't help it. I started laughing. I tried to stop, ring up the customer, a middle-aged woman buying a Dean Koontz novel. She seemed shook up, clutching the shitty book. I couldn't. Sorry, I told her, beeping the book under the scanner. I was still laughing when I gave her the change. The end. I love it. Thank you so, so much. This was, you know, this was a total treat for me personally. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I feel like you guys have um, started to influence each other. Am I wrong? Do you guys, do you guys, do you read each other's work? Do you, do you read to each other? Yeah, we do. We have slightly different methods. Like I share earlier than Scott does. Like I read a part of like an early, early draft of the book he's working on now, but I don't get to read the rest of it for a while. And he reads my stuff pretty early. Yeah. Like what kind of feedback are you? I feel like when I make Ben read my stuff or when I, when I make him read it, meaning I, (laughs) (laughs) when I read it at his averted eyeballed face um like i just want him to tell me uh like a line that he really liked and then i want him to excuse himself like mm. <laughs> i can't imagine you're both such brilliant writers what kind of like feedback or relationship you know are you looking for when you guys are you know like reading each other's work well thank I you i think i'm like insecure i think i just want <laughs> like too. i want like praise but like mm-hmm. i want to control the praise mm. like i want to i want to <laughs> control the level of the praise and i think julie is different than that mm. yeah i think i just sometimes want to be told that what i did doesn't suck mm-hmm. and then like what lines to cut out um i don't like being told to make major changes yeah. but a lot of times oh, god I, no I will write like a line and I'll know that Scott will tell me to cut it out and then I'll leave it in there anyway for some reason. (laughs) It's wild when you get someone's voice in your head like that, just kind of knowing ahead of time what they're going to say. No, this is, has to go. Absolutely. I was thinking we sound like egomaniac or I sound like an egomaniac, but then I realized like maybe Julie is the bigger egomaniac (laughs) and she already knows it's amazing. So she wants just some practical advice on what works. (laughs) No, but there's been plenty of times where I've just like, I can't tell, like, I think this sucks, but maybe it's good, but I'm not sure. And then it's nice to know that Scott's not going to lie to me. And then he says, no, this doesn't suck. I like it. Mm. So. Yeah, I think I think that's like crucial, right? Like I I think um I I talk about this with my therapist a lot about like are people really telling me what they actually am I getting actual, you know, like feedback from people or are they just being polite or trying to get rid of me? And I think it goes to that like am I insecure or am I a narcissist, which I think lots of writers struggle with. <laughs> Maybe. Well, they're the same thing, right? Two mm. sides to the same coin. Yeah, yep. Yep. I just assume no one is telling me the truth and sharing the work is almost just like an acknowledgement that it's real. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this exists. And can you confirm this exists so I can keep working on this? And mm-hmm. That's about it. Yeah. But I've had bad reactions too. Like I think I've thrown some fits because he didn't react the exact way that I wanted him to <laughs> and then vice versa. Yeah. And then he learned, right? Yeah. You- <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like it's it's weird with stuff like that. I mean, I think with like influence stuff too. Um, like this book I'm working on has a ton of pictures in it. I've been kind of thinking about that here recently, where I'm like, oh gosh, I'm kind of ripping off a lot of Julia's thing. But my book has no pictures in it. The one that I'm working on now, it's, know, a, it's a first. Yeah, I'll do that next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you can you guys tell us a little bit more about what you're what you're working on right now and how you get that work done? Like what your process looks like. Um, I'm nearing the end of a story collection, hopefully, um, which is has been nice, but also. Like, I felt like writing a story collection was going to be really easy, but it turns out 
that in some ways it's a lot easier than a novel, but like coming up with a new story all the time is more difficult than I kind of gave it credit for. That sounds punishing. Yeah, I guess it has, I don't know, novels are punishing too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a lot less steady of a worker than Scott, and I struggle way more with balancing work and writing, and he makes me jealous. Well, I'm more of a masochist that way. Like, I go in there and sit and and, uh, flail. (laughs) Will you just sit in the room if you're not getting anything done and just stay in there? No, I always get stuff done, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we do work very differently because Julia's, I don't know, like you're more kind of streaky where if you get, you'll wait and wait and wait and then get started on something and then just work on it for hours and hours and hours and hours without ending. Like it just goes on and on and on, like the Howard Hughes method, I guess. (laughs) Uh, And then I have like more of a regimented, like sit in the room, you know, for two hours well, his is super regimented. Like he'll be like, I didn't get my three hours in today. And it's yeah. like, he's got to get the certain amount of hours that he's designated. Yeah, it's very OCD. And if is he doesn't get Same it, time every day, that kind of thing? No, like the time can change. But it seems like I, I used to be like an afternoon writer. And then I changed to like a morning writer. And now if I can like hit it around noon... It seems like that's like the best time for me. Maybe that's another way we've influenced each other because I'm now like a noon writer's like the best time as well when I used to be a night writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's noon writer. That's rare, I feel like. Yeah. And Do I've been you... drinking Red Bull too. So there's another influence. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> like um, Kerouac doing benzos or whatever, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah. I just drink a bunch of sugary Red Bull. And then you just get out here. Yeah, every day. <laughs> That's my fault that you drink I that much. I think so because I was a I was a diet Red Bull person before you came around. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you guys like this? Pre- I know Ju- Juliet that they're your stepkids, um, but did do you think your process has changed since becoming a parent? Um, I mean, like. Not really, because when we have the kids, we only have them part-time, and so it gives us kind of the luxury of, that's a kid's time, Mm -hmm. so I don't write when the kids are there, Mm -hmm. and neither does Scott. Yeah. And so, I guess it's another, this sounds terrible, it's not the right way to phrase it, it's another obstacle, but it's like an obstacle that I welcome very much Mm -hmm. and enjoy having that time Mm -hmm. where writing's not even a thing that I, like, try to get done when the kids are around. Yeah. And I guess mine's, like, changed, too, because, like, I've written books with, like, babies in my lap. Mm-hmm. And now, like, it's a, it's very different. It's more because I'm so obsessive about, like, going into the room every day. But now, like, Friday through Monday, like, when we have the kids, like, it's just kind of a forced thing that I just don't touch it. And I think that's maybe been helpful for me, too. How so? Um, I think way too much. I think um, where you're, I'm just like kind of constantly, especially like this year, you know, where you have so much time on your hands and you can just like kind of churn over uh, a lot, you know, a lot of like what you're going to do the next day. I'm big on making little sketch outlines that then the next day make no sense. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so like it, it cuts, it cuts out a lot of like nonsensical sketch outlines that I wouldn't know because my handwriting's so bad too. <laughs> so I can't. I will write something one day and then I can't tell what it is the next day. <laughs> do you write longhand when you're in the room for three hours? I do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is. I man. You are a masochist. Yeah. Well, and then when he types it up, there's all these typos, which as like a kind of like perfectionist, annoying person drives me crazy when I look at his <laughs> manuscript. I'm like, you don't even have a comma there. I'm like a hunt, I'm like a hunt and peck typist too. So it's like Whoa. comedic. Just the amount of time that it would take to transcribe all that is that that to me, I just man, I I don't know. Well, it saves you a lot. I think it saves you a lot of time. Really? Because, I mean, I don't even know if I can explain this without, like, sounding crazy. Like, I think, No, sound crazy. Sound yeah, crazy. I think, like, stories are more um, – that they're, like, shapes, you know? And mm-hmm. most of my chapters and books are stories I've written. Like, they have a specific, like, sort of attention shape thing. Mm-hmm. So that 
you know, by this point in time, you know, something, something's going to happen. And it's much easier to do that on a piece of note on a notebook, you know, page mm-hmm. of, you know, a page is a, or the front of a page is a paragraph and to be able to shape that shape itself more so than if you're in the computer mm-hmm. where I think it's just easier to, um, kind of have a fuck that's good enough attitude. Mm-hmm. I think I like, I think I read a lot of books, a lot of contemporary <laughs> books where it's kind of that fuck that's good enough attitude <laughs> that I can feel, I can feel like kind of emanating uh, from the, from the book. I'm guilty of that myself mm-hmm. uh, too. So I think like the notebook kind of keeps me grounded into like the effect that I'm, mm-hmm. or the emotional kind of effect that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to pull off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about this this evening because I'd mentioned quickies, Lindsay, you know, the, mm-hmm. and, and there was about that whole, that whole kind of group of us, you know, mm-hmm. who we read our work um, and it was like important to the work to like read it out loud Yes. to, yes. A, to an audience. It was like, it's like, maybe that's the reason why music sucks so much now where it's <laughs> nobody plays live. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important, you know, the pay, the, the notebook page lets me be able to feel like I'm playing live still, mm. um, which is important to me at least. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's why I always like read stuff aloud before I conclude it's finished. And I usually like try to imagine like reading in front of a judgmental audience. Exactly. <laughs> Who are drunk and talking and bored. And, bored <laughs> and are yeah, making, I... you know, shit comments to their friends about you yeah yeah or not even paying attention you know yeah, or talking about something completely different i'm i i you know i've got three kids so i don't get to do i don't get to do readings and i don't even know where to go um for those of you who don't know quickies was my reading series where you it was a flash fiction reading series where you got to um read for five minutes and if you went over you got whistled off the stage so it really um tried to get people to write uh, something urgent something performable, performative. Um, and uh, I think it made people really pay attention and it, it helped us get better at reading our stuff. And it is, it is to me, like I, my whole life, I wanted to be an actress and I feel like this, you know, that's the way that I read things is um, like, I really, I mean that shit, you know? And um, that's one of the things I miss. I really miss. And, and, and not that I even would have opportunities if there wasn't a pandemic. Um, but that's something I, you know, I'm dying to get back to. You're still so wired that way, Lindsay. I mean, even for this stuff, you're always writing new stuff and you're like, well, did you write something new for it? And my answer is always uh, kind of or no. And you just, <laughs> you just always have something new ready to read. I don't know. I, that was the other cool thing about quickies is, I mean, all of it was new, right? That was the caveat. Well, I mean, we, my, all my stuff was new. I don't know if everyone. Well, I know knows. yours was. Sure, I think a sure. lot of people did write new stuff because they had to make it fit the parameters, which was cool. Yeah. I know yeah, I had to write something new for edge. sure. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, because even looking through the stories, it was like, what's a little bit of a story that can fit into mm-hmm. the five to 700 words? Um, and that does seem like kind of a rigid parameter that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's my word count goal. Every time I sit down to write, it used to be, it started at 1500, it went down to 1000, now it's 500, because that's all the time I have. But it feels like a lot, you know? 500 is pretty good. Yeah. Definitely. We're getting there. (laughs) I noticed that, you know, sometimes I see you guys on social media, sometimes I don't. And I've had people kind of reach out to me and, and ask me, you know, like, am I supposed to be on Twitter? If I want to be a writer, do I have to really worry about like my social media presence, my web presence, you know, like, and how to like, I, I just want to know what you guys' philosophy is on that. You know, like, well, how do you view your, your, your web presence, your social media presence? I don't put much effort into it on purpose just because that seems gross to me aren't you trying to make your twitter bad yeah i was trying to make my twitter bad (laughs) i guess i'm still trying to do that um i don't know i think i think like because i've deleted twitter before and Mm -hmm. had no social media for a minute and i like social media but i hate it and so i don't know i just shy away from having like a good social media like I don't want like a curated Twitter or mm-hmm. a curated Instagram mm-hmm. like that just irks me and 
I feel like you if you can tell some people they don't need a social media account, but other people like it does genuinely help them. Scott's always telling me that I should just get rid of Twitter and that I don't need it, yeah. which is probably so I mean Twitter's like an idiot detector now. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're on there. <laughs> when I haven't had it, I've like missed it. Not Twitter as a whole, but just kind of seeing like what other writers I like, like their interviews and the stories they published and the jokes that they've made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still like will search Twitter, you know, for like my friends and stuff and read their read their Twitter threads. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, at this point in time, I don't know. I, I kind of I feel that, like the internet, Twitter, all of it has become so it's your mom. Your mom yeah. does that shit now. Like, and like <laughs> like you go on Instagram yes. and there's the shop button. Like it's just so icky. It's always been icky, but it's gotten ickier. And We're forefronting all that now. It's yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And there was I think there was a moment in time where people were using it in an inter- interesting way. And meaning, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and they were, you know, using it. I can remember the first time I tweeted. I didn't understand like the I was I tweeted at Gene Morgan. <laughs> oh, he's still on yeah, there. He's course. still on Twitter. Yeah, he's still yeah. On there. yeah well, I've oh, talked yeah. to Gene about this before, but my first tweet, I I was sending him, I think I thought it was just private. I thought Twitter was like <laughs> a private message. Oh my god. And I was like, hey Gene, like I love uh, you know, I can't remember what it was. And and he just like liked my tweet. And so that was strange. <laughs> That was like strange too. I was like, "Oh, okay, so I guess you can just like somebody." But it was problem. favorite. Yeah, favorite, favorite. <laughs> um, so I was just—I didn't really understand the whole the whole thing from the beginning. But it's interesting to think back on like internet experiences because I can remember the first time I got on the internet, or I thought I got on the internet. Julia is younger than me so but not by much you have a very different internet experience well my grandpa like did computer programming so i was like on the internet when it was like two colors yeah and i went to i was a freshman this would have been the fall of 1996 and i went to concord college's library because i kept hearing about this thing called the internet and i sat in front of a computer and I was typing in like things I liked and I was like, the internet sucks. <laughs> but I didn't realize that I was on like the, the library's Dewey Decimal system. Oh. Like, <laughs> so I had like two weeks where I just thought the internet was a scam. Two weeks? Yeah, it was like two weeks. And then I came home fairly, it wasn't too long after that. My dad got a computer and I remember sitting down and we thought the internet was the Encarta Encyclopedia. Oh, man. Oh, man. I was just talking in, about Encarta. Yeah. Oh. And we put, he put in, I was like, hold it. This is, this is the shit. This is happening now. And it was like, it was like Mark, we watched Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech like 20 times. Oh. And then it was like real boring, you know, after, <laughs> after you did all the things you could do <laughs> on Encarta, which really wasn't much in those days. It was like, oh, okay, I guess that's the internet. And I can remember him calling me at school one day and saying, I found out that the internet's something different. I have to get it hooked up. Because <laughs> oh I got kicked out of an AOL chat room when I was like 10. Oh my so goodness. That was, For what? I was like trolling like a Christian group. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And then my dad, like, I guess he was like sort of, you know, mad at me and sort of thought it was funny. So, yeah, I didn't think the encyclopedia or the Dewey Decimal System was the internet yeah, ever. Yeah, well. I, I remember I chatted on AOL chat with my friend's brother. He was like a year younger than us um, and had like a surfer look. And I'd never like thought of him. But then we chatted one day for like four hours and and then it was, and then when we were done, I thought, okay, well, I have a boyfriend now. And a husband. <laughs> I have a husband now. I went to school the next day and he did not talk to me. Oof. I had a similar experience where I was like talking to this boy who lived down the street from me like all summer. And then we went to high school. It was between junior high and high school. And I saw him and we never spoke. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, should I tell him like that was me? Yeah. <laughs> like, you all were more sophisticated than, than I was like. So 
I can still remember Kurt Loder saying on MTV, like, we've got a website now and it's www.mtv.com or whatever they used to say. It was, it was nerdier than that. And I remember thinking like, ugh, I'm never going on that. That's so stupid. <laughs> only... Gumble clip. What is internet? There's like oh, a yeah. today. Do you write to it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, like, there's like a Today Show clip with Brian Gumble, and he's asking some computer guy about what is internet. Do you write to it. <laughs> it was at the end of one of those like CNN the Decades documentary series in Scott, and I thought that was super funny. It was truly the end of the innocence, you know. Y- yes. Yeah. I've never met either one of you in person, but I have a very specific internet like memory or of Scott. There was a video that you had posted on Holler Presents or something years ago of you singing along to a Sam Cooke song in a car. Oh yeah, that was and that was yeah. I, was that your I, honeymoon? No, I was I was drunk in Alabama. Oh. And I remember watching that and I immediately went out and got that record. And so I just have to say thank you for that because before that I didn't have live at the Harlem Square Club, but yeah, after that I did. Oh my God. Square Unbelievable. Like, yeah. It like proves God exists. Exactly. Like, if you yeah. That, if you own that album, it's like the real stuff. You can feel it in there. It's amazing. Now that, my friend Chris Oxley took that video and we were just going down the road in Alabama drinking those what was that like fruity shit you drink that was like sparks sparks i was a sparks man during (laughs) during the day or in the morning oh yeah it was pretty awful now i remember you stomped you played a cd at the franklin park reading series and then you stomped the boombox to shreds to shards see the problem with that though is i started doing that reading and it went over well i think you saw the last boom bo- boom box stomping Lindsay. oh so i had to buy a whole new boom box each time, oh. each time <laughs> i did the reading and the problem with the franklin park one is i couldn't figure out how i was gonna get the fucking boom box on the plane so i had to pre-order the boom box and then mail it to someone who was going to be at the reading. Oh. There, was so much, there was so much work I put into these, re- <laughs> these readings. I just spent a little more time on my writing. I'd probably be better off. You did all right. I did okay. Oh, you yeah, did you okay. both. Come on. How do you guys handle, like, the business side of publishing? Like, what Poorly. do you... <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I... Both of us have a job, and I think that's different than a lot of people who need writing for their livelihood. And so if I get a decent amount of money for something, that's great, but that's not a motivating factor for me, which is possibly stupid. Why? I don't think it is. Just because, I don't know, like, like if you break it down in terms of logic, like finance, like I'm working for much less than minimum wage. Oh, I see. Um, but well, we're right I mean, there like, with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't think I have yeah. anything else to add. Yeah, I think being a professional writer is probably really stupid. Like, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just saying there's, there's an interview. I can't remember. Uh, oh, Renetta Adler, you know, the woman that wrote mm-hmm. Speedboat. Speed yeah. yeah. She gets, she's like, that's the worst thing you can do is because then you're stuck. Then you are actually having to do having to do articles for money. That's the reason why there's so many shitty fucking articles all over the place, well, I think. I think that is nice because there were certain things that I knew I could do to Juliet the Maniac to get more money, and I just didn't wasn't interested in that because I didn't need to. Like, I'm not yeah needing to pay the bills with yeah. the money I get from the novel. I think I've always just – go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you to tell me what, like, what did you think those things – because yeah. I read Juliet the Maniac, and I, I think I, like, gobbled it down in two days – what what were the things that you that you stopped yourself from doing or that you you know didn't consider i think it could have you know i could have had a lot more adult talking saying like this is what it all means like here's an inspirational mental illness story i overcame etc with one suicide attempt and then the next hundred pages is building up to another suicide. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want to write like the emblematic mental illness book. I wanted a person, the narrator to be like 
like Juliet's a bad person in a lot of ways and I didn't want to make her a heroine and yeah I think I probably could have sold it for more money if I wanted to make it more inspirational but that was the opposite then you could have got one of those shitty covers though they give those books yeah and I could go on a talk show and talk about how mental illness <laughs> that's right you is, could, is such a you could cross become to bear. the spokesperson <laughs> for that topic maybe i'm not capable of that maybe I think that maybe. is kind of called the writing career in 2019 20 isn't it like you become i guess i've always kind of treated it as like a joke like it seems less icky if you just kind of are laughing about the whole thing about being a writer yeah and about the business side of it too mm-hmm. like just kind of treat it as i can remember being drunk telling anna stein that um Four, no, what was it? So I can't even do the math. Two, two, in my world, two and two is five. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. And her, and she told me, she's like, well, two and two is four. And then she continued on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I, I mean, there's, there's stupid things you can do like that. Like that was really dumb. Um, but it was it wouldn't have been as much fun though either i had a whole lot of fun like taping our phone calls and being like ridiculous with my agent yeah because i was going to make a documentary out of our phone calls because i would oh my the, the purpose was i would get on the phone and i would just be insane on the phone <laughs> and i had do- <laughs> i had documented evidence of like my insanity and we we're recording her side of the conversation too so yeah i mean you know it's not it's not a good idea to like alienate your agent but it was it was funny at the time i mean Looking it's back, funny now <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't know because like now like you know this is a person who i care about and who is like my friend right and i was like really shitty to well i wouldn't say she's my friend <laughs> you have had a long relationship yeah i mean she's kept me around for a while oh you're so, still with this agent yeah oh, yeah that's I'm awesome still, yeah i'm still with her so but you know when you're like think back of like oh i was really embarrassing in the way i behaved towards this person mm-hmm. not that i was like bad or anything it was just like i was you know I was really, because i would send her e- oh gosh man now that i think about it i would send her emails <laughs> Well, we did that thing where... That was your influence, the reason why that happened. Where, like... I emailed the Iowa Writers Workshop. Oh. <laughs> oh I love this story already. And I, and I told them, because it was on, this is a honeymoon story. Oh, my God. I goodness. told them that we were coming through, and for one night only, their students could have the opportunity to speak to me. But then I told them they had, like, a 30-minute window of time to, like, oh. pay me money. Oh. <laughs> we spelled workshop in the email that we came up with together s-h-o-p-p-e <laughs> and that said, made us laugh for like three or four states <laughs> and said like paypal three hundred dollars to this email address oh. you have until this amount of time <laughs> and then contact anna stein <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that i mean that sort of thing's not a smart idea but like I said, it was, it was kind of fun for me. But why why do you think because I why do you think your impulse was to 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 like make a game of it or to make it fun? Is it because I think again kind of insecurity, you're scared of it, like makes it yeah. real. It's this like kind of secret part of yourself that you know maybe your folks don't necessarily know about. And, mm-hmm. and so I think it was that, you know, like have them reject you or you know you reject them before they reject you and mm-hmm. that that sort of impulse i think we've gotten so much better behaved though the two of us i think part of that is just getting older and more boring yeah but then also you realize that behaving badly is fun while it's going on but then it's not like a good look later yeah mm-hmm. and then also i would get on fights on the internet and then scott would have nervous breakdowns Oh. So now I have to behave on the internet and I just try not to say anything. Yeah. It was a different age. Different, a different age. age. You got that out of your system. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you had a very charming tweet just recently, Juliet, that was saying something like, I love to party all night. And then it was like, party all night meant sit on the couch and listen to records with my husband. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. Because <laughs> it is. It's like, I, I can, there's so many things I did in my 20s 
And in, even in my early 30s, basically before I was a parent, there, I was just like a sloppy pile of shit at these readings. And um, because I think it was sort of the same thing that you're talking about, Scott, like, don't think I take this too seriously, man, even as like yeah. my insides were weeping and begging people to love me, you know, but eventually you come to this calmer place. I think that's just like, I mean, all the writing that I've loved, like tons of the books that I've like, it's been a part of my life. They're like old man books, you know, like, I think also there's just like been a part of me that's always wanted to be like, like I felt like an old man when I was like six or seven. Even. Mm-hmm. And what old man not, books do you love? Oh, well, just for instance, I'm reading, I'm rereading Stendhal's like the charter house of Parma oh. and you know, things like things like that. So I think that I was, and maybe that was like addiction problems. Like I think I was a little, um, you know the romanticizing of lifestyle mm-hmm. yeah. and thinking like lifestyle was key to then being able to like write like I mm-hmm. think I went through that stage for a long period well, of time so did I and I didn't get much writing done and then I realized that your like brain's more interesting and you're happier and more productive yeah. if you party by sitting on the couch yeah <laughs> Yeah, what's that quote? It's like live a calm and orderly life so that your writing maybe what is it? Oh, stuff Wild with bear thing. Or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, at one point I completely disagreed with that. And now I agree with that. I don't know about wholeheartedly, but at least mostly agree yeah. with that. Yeah. What else are you guys reading right now? I'm reading horseman on the roof is that what it's called uh-huh. scott had read it before me and he said it was great so i started reading that and i'm really enjoying it yeah it's, it's a cholera novel oh and i'm glad like covid sucks but i'd much rather have it be covid than cholera yeah mm. really you don't even have at least you don't have even worse kate well i guess you do have diarrhea sometimes with covid don't you yeah but you don't have like rice yeah gallons like we're talking gallons of diarrhea well these these people would get cholera and then they die a few hours or days later oh my gosh and it looked like rice pudding supposedly (laughs) we're destroying your all's podcast no 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 no. this is Exactly. This is what we wanted. Listenership we- is going up exponentially the more we talk about diarrhea. Yeah, we wrote did you down say, uh, rice did you say gallons of diarrhea or gallons yes. of gallons? Three, three to five if it's untreated. <laughs> yeah, it's untreated. Three to five gallons of diarrhea. Do you guys find yourself reading a lot of like pandemic type stuff or trying to like dive deeper into it? Because I have I have absolutely not had that instinct at all. I have, you know, basically tried to avoid so much. I don't know if it's my job. I, I'm a manager at a grocery store for my day job. So a lot of it is dealing with the public and masks and people who don't want to wear masks and that stuff. So when I'm home or when I'm trying to write, I just, I can't engage with it in that way. I don't know. Well, I had been interested in diseases before. Like I, I have oh, okay. obsessive hobbies that I'll be into very briefly and then I'll abandon them and move on. And so this had happened before, but like when COVID was first appearing in the news and it was in China and that was it, then I started getting re-obsessed with diseases. And I was like listening to a lot of audiobooks and reading books and reading articles on EBSCO. And then when it actually came here, then I completely lost interest in diseases. Right. Um, you have no, this I was mostly just reading because Scott said it was like a good 19th century novel that was written in the 20th century. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have no interest in like timely COVID-related literature. Like it doesn't interest me. I think. So that, I wonder if people really read like that though. I always call it like U.S. News and World Report fiction, mm-hmm. or, it's, or it's like you can tell somebody read an article in graduate school and they're like, "Ooh, this would make a great novel." <laughs> or- or the thing that we often complain about where someone wrote this book because they thought it would make a great uh, series on Netflix eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So, many, so many TV shows are like timeliness, like the concept of, of timeliness. So. I remember Ling Ma who wrote Se- uh, Severance. Yeah. Um, after COVID started spreading, she got contacted by like so many different 
journals and newspapers and periodicals begging her to write about pandemics because her mm. novel's all about a pandemic, a zombie pandemic. And yeah, it's something yeah. so craven about that, right? Like, yeah. so gross. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just super weird. I guess it goes back to like that spokesperson thing. Like you write the book now so that you can write the article. Like the books, the book's mm-hmm. not even important. Right. It's the, it's the articles that you're going to generate, you know, coming, coming out of the book. I get that sort of thing too. Like with, here recently with all that hillbilly elegy, like crap. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, oh my like, gosh. Make it stop. I hate oh. both sides. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we got you on record with that. That's right. <laughs> you're not any better. <laughs> I saw a still from the, from the first, like, I don't know, 30 seconds of the, of the movie. It was on Twitter. And uh, it was someone being like, I'm going to the swimming hole. And the grandpa being like, don't get bit by a rattlesnake or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And the person was like, there are no, there, there aren't those kinds of snakes here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Silly. I think that's kind of an, a thing about, I think it's like the hashtag Twitter type bullshit though, where people have like reorganized their brains along those lines of yeah. ooh, I saw this this is happening therefore let me tweet about it or you know there are all these tweets happening about this subject I need to understand what my point of view is on this subject too oh, but god I feel so the, I feel so dragged and seen by you right now yeah and it's, yeah. it's very it's 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 cleansing in a way uh, it, I feel like I'm gonna have like three to five gallons of diarrhea after this but in a good way <laughs> You know, like one. Yeah, it's white diarrhea too. Rice pudding. And my mom, one New Year's Eve, she spent it taking um, a colonic. And she was like in the toilet for the next two days because she wanted to start anew, start the new year fresh, right? And that's going to be me after this conversation. Yeah. Because that's exactly why I got off Twitter for a while is because all my, I would think like that, right? Like, should I chime in? Should I say something? Is this for Yeah, that's sweet. That's one time, or probably more than once, when I've temporarily deleted my Twitter because it just like felt like I should say something, but I had nothing to say. And it was just like, why do I have this instinct to say something when I don't have anything to say? Like, I don't like that. I have this like pressure that I'm placing on myself. Yeah. Like the repetition of the shit is what like gets me like that all the tweets will be the same or like someone, I don't know, a celebrity passes away or something and then all, then it's, then it's then it's that. And, and even around a subject matter, like to think, you know, like think of it as your normal life and like 20 of your friends are saying the same exact thing. Like you would like stop hanging out with them after like a while. <laughs> 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 it's like crazy uh, to me. Yeah. Yep. Thank you guys for being on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking us. Yeah, thank you. This, this was, was like a very spicy addition to our life of sitting in our house. I know. I know. Oh man, I maybe we should do like a spin-off and we do this every couple weeks. <laughs> there you go. I would love it. <laughs> if people want to uh, you know, find out more about you, don't go to Twitter. Do Where should they go? go? Twitter. Where should they go? You can go to my Twitter. Scott has an Instagram. No, I'm going to give it a, a different uh uh, answer. They can go and purchase my books at Amazon.com. That's not very uh, socially acceptable. Yeah, Scott. listen, they're not going to like that on Twitter. Okay. Oh, man, go purchase them at Amazon. Just secretly purchase them at Amazon. <laughs> and then claim that you bought them at uh, your local indie bookstore. There you go. <laughs> I can attest, having read all of your all of your books, um, that they are well worth purchasing and um are very re-readable well thank you yeah thank you excellent a lot of fun a lot of fun my love language is scatological um anything so Mm, you feel loved then i did i felt very loved (laughs) um i just have like a little short thing to read just something yeah, read it. Um, from that novel that I've been writing. Oh, uh, same one. Awesome. Yeah. Same one that I just work at every, you know, every time I have some time. So this is from my new novel, Hot Springs Drive in process. Mm-hmm. They'd had sex one time pawing at each other in Jason's father's car. The smell of his father's coughs, his father's starched shirts, his father's sweat, 
Cece trying to push Jason further in, though it hurt, and they both had no idea what they were doing, just that they knew it'd be the last time. Douglas pled out soon after that, everyone scattered to the wind. It's not that long until we're in college, Jason said, panting. Cece knew what he meant, though she hadn't bothered to picture a future for herself. What was the point? She'd seen the end of things already. She'd thrown a clump of dirt into her mother's gravesite. She'd allowed words forgiving her father to tumble out of her mouth like wet dice. She was supposed to what? Keep going? It felt silly. Still, she had pushed her face into the space between his chin and shoulder, and she'd matched her breaths to his, and she'd ignored how the cup holder console was digging into her thigh, and she'd nodded so he'd know she'd heard him, so he'd believe she'd be right there with him, somewhere in the near future, free and together. Douglas said the words, I hit Miss Teresa with a crowbar. I hit her until she was dead, with a small smile on his face that he seemed embarrassed about, a boy playing at manhood, unsure if any of it was real. I feel remorse for my actions, and I asked the judge for mercy. He'd stumbled over the word remorse, pronounced it remorse. His hair was shaved off, his ears sticking out at extreme angles, his elbows and collarbones and jaw all painfully sharp. He was just a fuck up, a weirdo, a dime a dozen, and yet he'd murdered her mother. He'd killed his mother's best friend. He'd butchered a woman who made him pizza rolls and popcorn and once, in a brief crafty phase, a Christmas stocking with his name in green glitter glue. Cece hooked her leg over Jason. She would not let go. She would never, ever let go. But within half an hour, he'd gone inside, promising to bring her a glass of water, and Cece had let herself out the side door, the one on the opposite side, so she could drift down the road without having to look at it, the place where she'd once lived, the place where her mother had choked on her own blood. That's it. Love it. I'm excited because I know nothing about this book other than the two pieces I've heard, like everybody listening, and it's fun to kind of try and piece it together, get a sense of the crime, a sense of who these people are. It's fun. Yeah, I think that's my, um, that's actually my goal is, um, is to sort of present a collage. I've been obsessed with this idea of collage, because I feel like that's how we put memories together anyway. Mm. Um, Especially, you know, like the novel that's out now, not not out, but out on submission is sort of how parenthood puts you in that position of being in the moment and also in your past and in your future, and looking back and um, all at the same time. Right. And it f- really feels like you're moving through this collage. So I, I think I started obsessing over that with that novel. And then now I'm really like, I really want to just give like little pieces for people, little glimpses for people to, to peek into these people's lives, but not necessarily, you know, lay it all out. I kind of want to, I, I'm, I really feel like I'm assembling something I'm going to decoupage later or something. Mm-hmm. But it's, this feels different than how you've worked in the past. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In the past, think, what did it look like? I think definitely, like, even in my flash fiction, and um, definitely when I, I think I've said the word definitely like 85 times. Um, but in the novels, I, I, you know, I work through it very narratively, you know, like I, I start at the beginning and I get to the end. And I think this is trying to look at, you know, a really horrific thing almost almost as if that thing that happened you know like caused some sort of explosion and you're just sort of mm. picking up whatever pieces you can find to try to get back to that that moment just before do you um, have a sense of the shape of the whole project yet or is it more like you really are just kind of seeing how things burst out of this this crime or what you're working with yeah i'm really just going with my intuition i think um my heart has been broken. <laughs> mm. And in terms of like, just, you know, it's been a, it's been a really hard year um, for everyone. And um, in the publishing industry is no different. So I think my heart has been broken and I'm choosing to heal by rediscovering like my impulses, my intuition, kind of mm. like ju- what Juliet was saying, where she said she knew what she could have done to make it a more marketable book, mm. but she rejected that because she wanted it to be the book she was writing. I love that she said that. That was, <sighs> it was, and then, you know, I'm glad we got the follow-up question. And I think you asked because her response was much more interesting than what I had anticipated. Not that I had anticipated her response to be boring, but just, I thought, yeah, I mean, the fact that it was just, it was as simple and direct as having less adult voices in there to kind of course correct or tone correct or provide a, you know, a moral or some kind of summary. That really is a brave move to exclude that when you know that something like that could provide so many readers with what they would need to maybe 
hand it to their mom or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of bravery in that choice. That was really, really great that you said that. Yeah. And I love that they both just sort of own the fact that, you know, we don't need this to make money. We make mm-hmm. a living and we do this because we want to, and because we, you know, we like to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, I struggle with that because I don't make money doing what I do, which is taking care of my kids. Right. And so I often will tell myself like, well, you, you've got to sell something, but you don't, you know, like right. you just have to keep making. Absolutely. Um, the thing Scott said that I think will stick with me was just this idea of, you know, people writing the books so that they can write the article or the writing the book so then they can become maybe the spokesperson for, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the person who wrote the pandemic book or whatever. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, as he was talking, I was thinking the kind of books that I obsess about and go back to over and over, they are absolutely the books that you cannot be a spokesperson for. You know, I was telling another friend this week how I'm more of a rereader than a reader. And, you know, I, so long see you tomorrow is a book I talk about constantly. Oh, and that book is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, you know, there was a year where it's like, that was all I was thinking about and reading and you can't be a spokesperson for that book. And I don't know, the ones I think that are really the ones that are going to make you want to do something that's going to feel worthwhile or just even going to, you know, get you in the room. They're not books that you can be a spokesperson for. It's, it's, it, that's so apart from really what makes any of this feel alive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just want to make something that feels like me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To- yes, I do know. I, I think when I, I, I wouldn't consider myself, um, I think I'm, I'm usually only funny in response to somebody. Like I feel like I have to have someone in the room with me and then I can kind of like win them over to my side and they'll kind of maybe laugh with me. I don't <laughs> think I'm the kind of person who's like telling jokes or anything, but that's how I feel about my books, like, or anything. It's just, I, anything I write, if, if someone isn't like laughing a little bit, like if I can't like win them over and have them, you know, think this is funny and like have like a half smile while they're reading it, even if it's serious, then it's, I'm not doing it. I I really want somebody to kind of like, I don't know. I, a sense of humor with that is so big for me. I don't know that that's kind of tied into how I want someone to read my work, I guess, which I don't know if I've ever said out loud or even thought about that much, but. I mean, it definitely comes across as I know, especially when you're reading it out. Um, Mm. I find myself giggling all the time. (laughs) Did you get work done this week? I did. I, um, (laughs) I got work done. I think all three of my days that I, that I usually have set aside to work. Um, wow. Even Friday, which I had to spend most of my working time grocery shopping. <laughs> right. Um, I was able to come home and, you know, and get some, get some words down, get my awesome. work count. Yeah. So what about you? Yeah, actually this was week was really productive. I feel I made a, a 50 page jump in the <gasps> editing. Yes. Like four days, pieces of four days, which is massive. So I feel like I can start to see a little bit of a shape and yeah, it felt good for sure. Can you talk a little bit? I feel like we haven't talked about what it is you're working on because you're working on that thing, but you're also working on this other thing that I would love for yeah. people to hear about. So I, I'm, I'm working on a, a novel right now that I've been working on for four plus years. Um, I guess I'll just say it's about a guy trying to get on a, reality television show is the easiest way to say it. And um, then I'm working on the other thing that I started at the very beginning of the pandemic with a, a buddy of mine, a guy I grew up with who's just stayed, you know, a best friend um, is we're working on an illustrated project where we created, we invented a town and my friend Andy illustrated um, houses that exists in this town, but he used architecture software. And so when I say he made the houses, I mean like he actually designed the houses as if they were going to be real and built. 
And then we present cutaways of those houses, um, which are then filled with furniture of these characters that we're creating and just the things that make up their lives. <clears throat> and uh, I write uh, stories about the characters who live in these houses and we kind of present them as like plates almost. And uh, then the rest of the ephemera from their life, you know, whether it be like a pack of cigarettes or a receipt or like some kind of cherished item, whatever, make up the rest of the book. And uh, so, yeah, we've been working on that and it's been fun to collaborate um, because other than that, and actually this podcast, I, I haven't done a ton of collaboration um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my past. Yeah. And I forget all the time how fun and like, you know, wonderful it is to collaborate. It's, Oh my God. Yeah. And I saw Alex showed me some of the um, imagery from this project that he's working on with his friend. And it is incredible. It is. <laughs> I can't oh, wait thanks. to see the actual book. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. It's just amazing how creative people are. And, you know, like sometimes my agent will say like, how did, like, when did you do this? You know, <laughs> like when I send him books and, and I, I find myself thinking that about people too. Like I think that about you cause you're working, you have two kids, you know, you have a life, but you're also doing all these other things right. and it's amazing. Well, thanks. I mean, I feel the same way about you. I mean, I know we're both just staring at washer and dryers as we do this. So, you know, got to keep our, <laughs> got to keep ourselves grounded. staring at a wall. Okay? Oh, okay. So I'll just have, you know. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. We'll turn around, look at the washer dryer. And... <laughs> okay. It looks good. It's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. Uh, this, this was fun. And we've got some really, um, I know I say this at the end of every episode. Um, but it's true every episode. Yeah, we are um, we are booking some writers for you all to listen to, and um, so yeah, smash that subscribe, rate review, stay tuned. yes, and rate and review exactly, um, and you know buy Scott and Juliet's books. It's yeah. Scott McClanahan and Juliet Escor Escoria. Um, buy their books immediately. Buy them from Thank You Books in Birmingham. Do that uh, if you don't buy them from Bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you thank you all for listening we'll talk to you next thanks time. for listening I'm a Writer But is recorded by Alex Higley and me Lindsay Hunter in our respective basements because there's a pandemic out there please wear a mask yeah, yeah, yeah. editing by Lindsay Hunter music by Max Loop <laughs> <laughs>